If you would, turn to the Bible to Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17. Hope everybody had a good Thanksgiving. Not so much whether you had lots of people around or turkey and a big meal, but rather that you are thankful, that you are giving, thank, giving thanks in your heart and mind. It is the Christmas season upon us, but technically the Advent season is the four Sundays before Christmas. And so if you've been looking at the calendar, then you know that there are four more Sundays still before Christmas. We got December 3rd, then December 10th, then December 17th, and then December the 24th. And so today is not an Advent Christmas morning, uh, Sunday morning. This is uh, going to be a message for us on Thanksgiving. Today we're going to spend a Sunday looking at Luke 17 and reminding ourselves of what it means to be thankful to God. I want to make the emphasis today from the Word of God that it is not Christian to be thankful. I mean, that's, we are thankful people. But it is specifically for the glory of God through a trust in Christ that our thanks, the, the gratitude, the gratefulness, the, the thankfulness that we have in us, that we are directing that toward God, that we recognize that whatever we're thankful for is from Him, and so that we would be thankful to God. We're going to look today at this awesome passage from Luke 17. We're going to read verses 11 through 19. Please read along with me. Luke 17, 11 through 19. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by 10 lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. This is a remarkable passage, isn't it? Just to be clear, this is not a parable. This is not a story that Jesus told to make some emphasis. This really happened. This shows us the beauty and the power and the divinity of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a story that is not very complicated. You don't have to be going deep into this. Jesus heals some guys, and one of them came back grateful. All 10 were healed of their leprosy. One turned back to Jesus, trusting in him and giving him thanks and the credit for it. It seems that it is a passage that will preach itself. I think we could stop there, or we could have a pause and a moment of silence, and you and I would just be able to sit and reflect upon how this ministers to us. What I want to do today is kind of just explain some of the details and then make three closing observations. Jesus was traveling. If you want to get into the details, this was a, a unique route that would not have been normal for him to pass this way. 
And as he entered a village, verse 12 tells us that there were 10 lepers. And if you've read the Bible much, you know about leprosy. This is uh, various types of skin uh, diseases, skin issues. And the Bible, through God's holy law, has declared that these people were unclean, so they had to be outside of the camp. They could not be around people. All of this is explained pretty clear in the law. Leviticus 13 and 14 make this clear. But these lepers were not allowed to be around people, so they had to stand far away. There's not a lot of detail here about who they were or what they liked. Obviously, one of the 10 was a Samaritan, meaning that he was not a, not, not a Jew. But it seems that maybe the rest were Jews or some were Jews because Jesus tells them to go see the priest. And so that's something that the Jewish people would have done. It's what the Old Testament law says to do. Leviticus says to do that. And so they knew that Jesus was coming. How much they knew about Jesus, nobody really knows. But they knew something about him that they would cry out to him. And so as Jesus enters the village or walks by, it says they stood at a distance because they had to. They're not allowed to get around the people. So, so picture Jesus walking down Fairdale Road, and they're not allowed to be in the mix. But they've heard something of him. Again, how much we don't know. But they stand over here unclean, knowing that they're unclean. They're lepers. And it says they cried out. Does everybody see that there? Verse 13, they, stu- they, they stood at a distance. Verse 13, they lifted up their voices. And here's what they said. Jesus, master, have mercy on us. That, that was their cry. You could say that was a prayer. That was their prayer. That's what they said. Jesus, master, have mercy on us. They wanted him to do something. They wanted him to make them clean. They wanted him to heal the leprosy. Also in Leviticus, it not only tells us what it means to have leprosy and what it means to be unclean, all the rules you had to follow, but also tells them how they could get back clean. And and to be labeled cleansed, you had to go to the priest. And so Jesus here is, is really doing something awesome. Jesus is following his law, his Old Testament law here. He says, go show yourselves to the priests. That's what he tells them to do. Verse 14, when he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priest. That's exactly what Leviticus says to do. If you're unclean, you need to go to the priest, prove, go through all the tests, prove that you're now clean, and the the priest will be able to say, okay, you're clean, then you're welcome back into the community. You're welcome back into the people. You're welcome back into the mix. And so that, Jesus is just following all of that. What's masterful about this passage, though, is that Jesus doesn't go through any of all the things that make them clean. You might say that Jesus was smooth like that. He often did things in this unique, cool way. He skipped all the other parts. Not only that, but one comes back healed. That's obvious that he's healed. He's been cleansed because he comes back. But Jesus knows without even seeing the other nine that they were healed too. The the mind of Jesus, the omniscience of, of Jesus, him knowing everything, him being in control of everything. His divinity is on display here. Verse 14, he says, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Notice that, and this is a neat thing to study if you wanna think further on it. Notice that they were not cleansed until they obeyed. The Bible teaches us that those who truly trust in Christ long to obey him. That obedience does not save us, but obedience flows from our faith. If you really, 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 really trust and believe God, then you want to obey him. And that's something to see here. Jesus did not heal them until they went and did what, what, he, what Jesus told them to do. Not meaning that their obedience healed them, but their ability to trust God and therefore do what he told them to do showed their faith, and so then he healed them. Let's not miss that. As they went, they were cleansed. Verse 15, then one of them, only one, 
when he saw that he was healed. So imagine they're all walking together and all 10 of them, and they're like, why are we going to the priest? We can't even go to the priest. We're, we're still unclean. Like, what, what's going on? And they're walking, and who knows how far it was to get to the priest, but they're walking, and they're walking, and then all of a sudden, their skin just starts clearing up. They're walking, and all of a sudden, they're like, dude, y'all do that too? Y'all see that? And in that moment, they knew what every one of us need to know. Jesus is king of kings. All authority on heaven and on earth is in Christ. All the fullness of God dwells bodily in Jesus. He is the man, the Lord, the most important person in the world. You will bow your knee to Jesus one day, and your tongue will speak his praise one day. Do it now by faith and trust in him. They knew that in that moment. They knew something of it in that they cried out to him, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. But they knew it without a shadow of a doubt. And there wasn't anybody anywhere that could change their mind on his ability to heal them. But only one responded the right way with faith and thanks. He came back, verse 15 says, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. He fell on his face at Jesus' feet, and there's our phrase, giving him thanks. Now, he was a Samaritan. The New Testament tells us over and over again that Samaritans and Jews did not get along. They did not talk to each other, so there's something striking about this. That's another sign that makes us think that there's some ethical stuff going on here. I mean, uh, so some ethnical stuff going on here because uh, Jesus is proving the point to us that, hey, those religious guys are the ones that you think should be thankful to God. They're, not, they're the ones that aren't. It's this, and, and our, our English uses the word foreigner here. It's the person that didn't necessarily have the, 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 the demographic or the label that they're the spiritual one here. He's the one that turns back. Church, don't miss that. Don't you dare judge a book by its cover if you haven't read it. The foreigner might absolutely be more spiritual than the one who wears the spiritual label. That's a message for our day, and we see it here. Jesus asked a question, were not 10 cleansed? How did he know that? Jesus asked another question, where are the nine? How did, how did he know that all 10 were cleansed? Because he's the one that cleansed them. Where the other nine means they should be where the Samaritan is too. Jesus' questions show us that all 10 ought to be bowing before Jesus and thanking him. Jesus then asked a more pointed, stinging question in verse 18. Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this one? Only one out of 10 are gonna thank God for healing and salvation? And then finally, he says, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. This made you well, this, this healing and is the same phrase as saved you. Some of your translations may say that very thing. It, is, it has saved you. The idea here is that in their healing of their skin, uh, God has saved this one. He's pointing out that he's been saved and it was through the miracle that God did that he was trusting in him. We're to see both of those things going on here in verse 19 in the life of this one. It's a special passage. And as I've already said, it hardly needs preaching. It causes people like me and you to stop and say, I ought to be thankful to God for what I have and who I am and what he's done for me. It causes us to feel 
the shame of the other nine. It reminds us of somebody who would be spoiled. It reminds us of somebody who wants to get the blessing but not take the time to reflect upon the one who gave the blessing. This passage preaches itself as so many of the stories of Jesus do. I want to give us three observations from this passage. Number one, number one is asking God for mercy. Let's don't miss what they prayed. They did not cry out, nobody deserves to live like this. Come on, God. They didn't say anything like that. Mercy is that beautiful church word that reminds us of not getting what you deserve. You know, mercy and grace are kind of like sister words or cousin words. Grace is, get, grace is uh, getting something that you don't deserve, just like when somebody gives you a gift, a gracious gift. But mercy is the, the sister cousin word to that, kind of the reverse. It's, it's not getting what you deserve. If you're speeding and a cop pulls you over and he says, hey, I'm just gonna give you a warning. Wow, he had mercy on you, right? We understand these terms. We use them a lot. That's the term that they're crying out. I don't know how they got leprosy, but they're not at all thinking that this is God's fault. They're not at all thinking, okay, God's not nowhere around because I've got leprosy, or God's not good because I've got leprosy. They're not thinking anything like that. Several years ago, one of my favorite guys that we've had here in our church, and he passed away, was Mr. Ray Harris. He became a deacon late in his life. He was a good guy all the years of his life, helped people and all that, but he was not close to Christ. And it wasn't until the end of his life that he got cancer, and it broke him down. And I will never forget Ray going, I thank God for giving me cancer, for he turned me back to him. He made me look to Christ. He made me dependent. That's kind of the idea here. When these people who are labeled unclean by God's labels in the Old Testament, they are to be separated from the people of God. Jesus, have mercy on us. God, do something to us that we don't necessarily deserve, but we want. It shows that they believe something about Jesus that you and I need to believe about Jesus. Jesus loves people, and he cares for people, and he's got a heart for people. He has compassion for people. He has all the power in the world, as this passage shows. He's able to just speak it and then walk away without doing anything. He didn't have to touch them. He didn't have to make a potion. He didn't have to get a medicine. He didn't have to do that. He just said, y'all just go. And at some point along the way, it almost is like, Jesus, how long should I wait? Like as soon as they said, okay, let's go to the priest, did he heal them then? Or did he let them get going? Did he let them get going? Like they're right to the, almost right to the priest before he heals them. And they're like, we, we can't go to the priest like this. Was it right before they grabbed the doorknob that, bam, they were healed? I mean, how long did Jesus wait? I mean, I, I don't know. But Jesus has the power to do that. He's got that strength. He, he's God. He can do anything. And so they cry out to him for mercy. It's, it's remarkable. And notice that he listened. If you're walking through the crowded Target or Walmart or the mall and there's people everywhere, and there's people hollering, do you even hear? Are you paying attention? Well, to some degree, we're a little bit selective on what we hear or what we're able to hear. He heard them. He heard these dirty, unclean people saying, Jesus, have mercy on us. He wanted to hear that. He had the ability to hear that, and he did. He listens. 
Y'all, the Bible teaches us this masterful truth about our God, about our maker. Psalm 145 says very clearly, he hears our cry and saves us. He hears our cry and saves us. He did that, didn't he? He did that. They cried out to him and they asked for mercy. They knew that Jesus could heal them. They didn't know that he would, but they they knew that he could. And so they cried out to him. So in crying out for the mercy of God, you believe in the power of Jesus to be able to do something. Church, we need to see in ourselves spiritually a connection with these lepers. We need to be a people who learn to pray for the mercy of God. We need to be a people who see Jesus as the one who has that power, who could, who listens and hears. I want to ask you, have you cried out to God and asked him to help? Have you asked him for mercy? Do you pray to him? Do you ever speak of mercy? J.C. Ryle, speaking towards this, says it strongly. Listen to this. How is it that many never pray at all? How is it that many others are content to repeat a form of words but never pray with their hearts? How is it that dying men and women with souls to be lost or saved can know so very little of real, hearty, business-like prayer? The answer to these questions is short and simple, Rao writes. The bulk of mankind have no sense of sin. They do not feel their spiritual disease. Don't we get that about the lepers? They didn't think for a second that they were fine. They didn't think for a moment that they were okay. This plagued them. They weren't allowed to be around people. We ought to see ourselves spiritually as diseased in our sins. He says they do not feel their spiritual disease. They're not conscious that they are lost and guilty and hanging over the brink of hell. Listen to this statement. When a man finds out his soul's ailment, he soon learns to pray. Like the leper, he finds words to express his want. He cries for help. Later, Ryle would say this. If saints like us could only see their souls as the ten afflicted lepers saw their bodies, they would pray far better than they do. We would cry out to God for mercy. When we find ourselves needy and hurting and desperate, we cry out to God. When we don't see ourselves needy before God, we don't. It may not be a physical need like the lepers, but spiritually it is. The first observation that we see here is that they asked him for mercy. They didn't try to work for it. They didn't think that God owed it to them. They cried out to him and he responded. May we be a people that trust in Christ, that cry out to him and watch his response to us. That's number one, asking God for mercy. Number two, their thankfulness was to God. I said in the opening, this is the point that I want us to, to really get. It's the obvious one. Sorry, I said there, his, the one's thankfulness was to God because there was only one. Notice what it says there again, verse 15. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him 
The posture here is important. It shows all-out surrender. It shows heartfelt gratitude and thankfulness. I think it shows sincerity. You can't picture in this setting him faking that. And some real practical questions would be, have you thanked God for his mercy? In a week of thanksgiving, did you? Over the last three or four days, did you thank God for the forgiveness of sins? See, that's the whole issue with this passage. It's not to say that the other nine were bad dudes. They weren't. Can't you picture how the other nine were? I'm sure that they were thankful and very happy, wouldn't you? I'm sure they were bouncing around and rejoicing. and I'm sure that some kind of humility had come upon them. I'm sure they went on and on about how much happier they are now and how much better their life is ever since they had been healed. I'm sure they were thankful and grateful to not have leprosy anymore. Thankful to be clean and thankful to be healthy. They were made by God. They were made clean by God. They need to be thankful to God. It was Jesus that they literally had just asked to do this to them, and he did. Jesus, master, have mercy on us. He has mercy on them, and they're nowhere to be found. Just sounds terrible, doesn't it? I mentioned earlier what it's like to be spoiled. You know, there's some traits you can have that aren't a mark on your character, and I mentioned this a few weeks ago. And then there's some traits that you can have that are a mark on your character. Nobody's gonna think worse of you if you're dumb. You can't help that. Nobody's gonna think worse of you if you're poor. You can't help that. But if you're ungrateful and spoiled, you think you deserve it all, you take gifts for granted, that's bad, folks. You're just gonna take all the goodness and be spoiled and not have any of the appreciation not be mindful of what it took to get there, the hard work, the saving, the giving, the generosity, the kindness, the thoughtfulness to, to do that. That's what it means to be spoiled. Hey, I don't care how dumb you are or how poor you are, but if you're spoiled, that's a mark against you. It's rude, it's ugly. And church, let me say it this way. Spoiled and ungrateful does not go with the kingdom of God. Spoiled and ungrateful does not go with those who trust in Christ, who gave his life on the cross and took the suffering and took the pain and took the punishment for us. Christ did not sin and die on the cross for his sins. Christ died on the cross for my sins and your sins and our sins. We should never be spoiled knowing all that God has done for us. And so because of what God had done for him and showing mercy to him, the one comes back and gives thanks to Jesus. Have you? What's awesome about this is that this is very clear. This, is, this should be the case. I mean, it should be automatic that you, that you say thank you, not only to whoever's done something for you. See, that's the thing here. I'm telling you this is thankfulness to God because Jesus is God, but, but it's also that he goes and gives thanks to the very one that did it. The person they cried out to, have mercy upon us, go show yourself to the priest. They went to the priest. As soon as they were healed, they came back to the very one he knows that did it. Let's give credit where credit's due. He's still got to go back to the priest. But he made sure he came back to him first and said, thank you. There, there's a message here. And, and this thankfulness to God is all throughout the Bible, 
mean, I just did a simple search of give thanks to God or give thanks to the Lord, and it's everywhere. We read from 1 Thessalonians 5, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. 1 Corinthians 15, 57, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Psalm 118, oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. I like this one, Psalm 9, 1, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. Folks, over 20 times just in the Psalms, you have the phrase, give thanks to God. Give thanks to the Lord. It is remarkably, markedly, specifically a characteristic of Christians and Christ followers that we are not just thankful, we are thankful to God. How do we show that? First of all, we say it. We're quick to say, thank you, God. We're, we're quick to give God the credit. We're quick to say, God did that. It wasn't just our back. It wasn't just our uh, upbringing. It wasn't just our education. It wasn't just the community we live in. It wasn't just our coach or our teacher or whatever. While we are thankful to all that too, it was the blessing of God. And we won't miss that. We won't be quick to thank everybody else and leave God out. We say it. And then after we say it to God and about God and for God and make sure everybody else can see it about God, we, we also want to live a life that is lived in humble surrender and obedience and faithfulness to the God who did it. We don't want to live in ways that show that we're ungrateful. It doesn't matter if you say, thank you, God, and then you live ungrateful toward God. And both of those things are in play. This one guy comes back and falls at the feet of Jesus and says thank you. And I think everybody that reads this, whether you're religious or not, goes, good for him. He, he should have, right? It's like if you go out here and help anybody with anything. If you're passing out an angel tree Christmas presents this year, or if you're serving coffee at an event, or if you're helping at the local school, or you're doing anything this holiday season of giving back, if somebody says, hey, we appreciate it, you're gonna be like, I like that. I'm glad, I'm glad they said thank you. On the flip side, you're probably going to recognize everybody you did something for that didn't say thank you. So when you see this guy saying thank you, you recognize that's right. The point I'm trying to make is that it was a thankfulness in the right place. Which has got me thinking, and I I want to be careful here, but I think we need to say it. It has become very popular these days to give thanks to the universe, I didn't know how big of a deal it was until I just did one search, thanks, being thankful to the universe, and it was like a million posts on what it means to be thankful to the universe. I gotta thank the sky for my, the goodness in my life. I gotta thank the universe that I've, I've got health, and I'm blown away by this thanking. I, I, I don't really mind so much how unbelievers act or how non-church people act, but church, that cannot be us. Why did this start happening? Why is it so normal these days to hear somebody say, I'm just thankful to the universe? I mean, the expression, thank God, is widely used. People say thank God whether they believe in God or not. And it's correct. It's at least partly correct. God is to be thanked in everything when somebody just says thank God, thank the Lord. And even when someone isn't a true believer in God, they may still say thank God, and this at least is partly correct. Where else does the thanks go? 
Who else should be getting that thanks? Nobody. Definitely not the universe who is not alive and definitely did not make you. The universe and you have more in common than you realize. God made both of us. And God gets the credit. Whether that be a rainbow or a waterfall or just the beauty of nature and a sunset or a sunrise. So why do we think it's changed? I don't know. But I was thinking all week long about this. Why is it now such a thing to give thanks to the sky or the earth or the universe? Well, I think it comes down to big, big, big meaningful things like holiness and sin and morality. Stick with me. God, who is deserving of all thanks, has standards. He also tells us what is right and wrong. He tells us what is good and what is bad. He tells us what is true and what is not true. And God is so good in doing that. You and I are not here just wondering which direction to go. We are here with a God telling us which direction to go. He is good in doing this. He is good for being that way. And some people disagree and some people do not like it. And so it seems that they have found something else to say thank you to. And they feel good about that. It makes them feel good because it appears as gratitude. It appears that they are thankful people. It makes them think that they are thankful. But in all honesty and in all due respect, it's not because it's in the wrong direction. It's not thankfulness at all, really, because it's not giving the thanks to the right place. It is so obviously self-serving to do this. It's embarrassing that one would not recognize that you're trying to be thankful by putting thankful in a place where the thankfulness doesn't go. You gotta thank the one who has done the blessing. They have found something to say thank you about, but they are intentionally not saying thank you to the one who deserves the thanks. Church, this cannot be us. As I like to say all the time, I'm not mostly concerned about the world or what they're doing or the unchurched or what they're doing, but us who show up here on Sundays, who carry our Bibles and bear the name of Christ. Us who are quick to say that we're Christians and believers in God, may our thanks be to God. God is the one who made the universe. Every blessing is from God, so God deserves the thanks. Romans eleven thirty six. that great doxology at the end of all 11 chapters says, for from him and through him and to him are all things, to him be glory forever, amen. Church, we cannot miss that. We cannot act like we're following Christ and God so loved the world that he sent his son to die in our place and then expect that we can live moral lives but the thanks be directed to somebody else other than him. Giving up your son sacrificially to die for the sins of the world is the greatest and biggest gift that one could imagine. You could hardly picture thankfulness apart from that. You can't. Since God is holy and therefore sin is wrong, since God is moral, some people don't want to thank him. And so they want their thankfulness to go in a different direction. That's not thankfulness. May we be thankful people thankful to God. So you and I need to sit here and reflect for a moment. Let's take a quick moment to reflect from the gift of God and from the hands of God and by his sovereign power and his providence and his goodness of what we have to be thankful for. 
your health, your family. For Thanksgiving, we pulled out every chair and table we could possibly find, and we had to borrow some others, and we had 18 people at our Thanksgiving table on Thursday. We thank God for that. What about your joy and your peace? So many people now don't have peace. If you do, would you thank God for that? What about your salvation? What about the comfort of eternal life in heaven? What about the forgiveness of your sins? Can you reflect for a moment on a time that you've sinned or ways that you're not altogether perfect? Can you pause for a second to admit, I've got my own issues, I've got my own struggles? And then to hear that God loves you in that and he sent his son to be the answer for it. That God has not told you to deal with your sins. God has told his son to deal with your sins and he has. And the only way you will have to deal with your sins is if you do not trust in Christ who has already dealt with your sins. When we reflect upon these things and so many countless others, we recognize there's a lot to be thankful for. And that thanks goes to God. Look back with me at verse 14. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. It's still plural at that point. Everybody see that? Still all 10 going. It's still all 10 being cleansed. Now verse 15, then one. Big contrast there, right? Then one. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Church, in a very real sense, this Thanksgiving weekend, we ought to read this passage and say, that's me. That's me. A lot of people in our lives that may identify more with the other nine but you ought to read this passage and say, that's me. I don't deserve all that he's done to me. I don't deserve all that he's done for me. I don't deserve the mercy that he's flowed into my life. I don't deserve to be forgiven of my sins. I want to turn back and fall at his feet and say thank you. We ought to be able to connect so clearly with the one that turned back. Not because he hit any home runs or won any awards. Not because he's the coolest guy around or the best looking or the wealthiest. Not because he's a superstar. Not because everybody likes him. He has none of those credentials, church. But you ought to be saying, that's me. The outsider, the disconnect, the standing on the outside, the crying out, the one that they wouldn't have expected it. You can go on and on with all those things, but the one who truly, deep down, heartfelt, with all sincerity, came back to the Lord Jesus Christ and fell at his feet and said, thank you. I'm sure there's been a time in your life, I hope so, where somebody's done so much for you. A mom, a grandma, a teacher, a boss, And you thought, man, I I need to tell them thanks. I need need to do something for them. I need to write them a note. I need to send them a letter. I gotta tell them thanks. And you did. And you meant it with all your heart. And you wanted them to feel how much you are thankful for them. That's what happened with this guy. He knew 
that he was who he was because of Jesus. He knew that he was cleansed because of Jesus. He knew that his sins were forgiven because of Jesus. And so he made sure he went back and said, thank you, Jesus. Church, we should see ourselves right there with him. That's number two, being thankful to God. Number one, asking God for mercy. Number two, thankful to God. And number three, finally, as we start to close here, a rule that comes out of this. We need to love the giver more than the gift. We need to love the giver more than the gift. Thankfulness to God is rare, as we just spent a whole point on. In this passage, we see it like this. All 10 were glad to be healed. We can assume that rightly. All 10 were happy they can get back in the mix. Happy that the priest is gonna say, you're clean, man, get back in the flow. All 10 were ready to get back living their normal lives. They loved it. But only one came back, nine didn't. Which means they more valued the gift than the giver. When you don't, let me just be real candid right now. When you don't have a lot of gifts, it's harder to be that way. When you got gifts abounding, you'll get distracted about what got you those gifts. You'll get distracted about where those came from. You'll take it for granted, won't you? I've already heard people say this year, man, we got so many toys, we don't need any more toys. And guess what? Over the next few days in this December month, you'll see a kid who gets a toy and doesn't even want the toy. You'll see a kid that gets a toy present on December 25th, and by December 26th, they're done with it, right? And we watched videos all November month of Operation Christmas Child Shoeboxes of kids that were jumping up and down because they got a toothbrush, of kids jumping up and down because they got a pair of socks. And we're told worldwide one of the biggest, biggest needs is socks, that most kids around the world wear shoes, if they wear shoes, without socks. I dare you to get your kids only socks for Christmas this year. You see what I mean, though? You can totally miss the giver and be focused on the gift. This one guy was aware that the goodness, the gift, the healing, the cleansed skin, all of that came from God. And so he valued Jesus that did it. Commentator Box says about this whole thing, one can experience God's grace in terms of general mercy and still not benefit fully from it. This is very true. We see this a lot. Because the response never moves beyond reception of kindness to the exercise of faith. Faith responds to God's goodness and it publicly acknowledges God and Jesus, a response that this Samaritan illustrates. If you recognize that God, if you fully recognize that God has been good to you and God has blessed you and God has sent his son to die for you, then the proper response is to give him the thanks for it and then believe him with everything else to walk in faith, to live a life that says I'm trusting in you, God, because you're the one blessing me with all of this. 
Let me give you an example that will, or an illustration that will really, really help with this. My point is loving the giver more than the gift. It was July 2nd of 2004. Val had just gotten back from somewhere out of town, and I, I met her at the airport, and I took her hiking, and I was as nervous as can be. And at some point in the mountains near North Greenville College where we went to school, I just said, now's the time, and I asked her to sit down on a bench, and I reached down in my cargo shorts, and I pulled out a little box. I had a diamond ring in there that I'd saved my money for, for, saved my money for. and I got down on my knee, and I asked her to marry me. She said yes, and it was nine months later that we got married. She's got a ring on her finger with a diamond in it that says, I did that, and we got married, and that's a good gift. Giving a lady you love a ring, that's a good gift. But wouldn't it be really weird if she loved that ring so much that all of you all had seen it and she was always going to get that thing revalued at the, at the stores and she was showing it off to everybody, but she was never with me, never spoke well of me, never hung out with me, didn't want to be with me and all that. When you get a wedding ring, doesn't that mean you want to love the one that gave you the wedding ring? Isn't that really what it's about? Don't when you say yes, you jump up and hug their neck and say, I love you. But couldn't you picture it where somebody's got the, the ring and all they're doing is just so happy about the ring, the ring, here's how much it costs, look at me, diamonds, here's how many carrots it is, and courts and the four C's and all that stuff. It could happen. And everybody would see, you're not supposed to like the ring more than your guy got it out of order. You're, more, you're so wrapped up in that ring, you don't even care about him. And yet life is lived that way. So much of the religious life is lived that way. In life, folks, whether you're sick or not sick, whether you're healthy or not healthy, whether you're rich or poor, whatever you've got in your life, you know what the biggest gift is? Christ. He died on the cross for your sins. You know whose plan it was and will it was and thoughtfulness it was? The Father's. You know who gets the credit and the glory and the thanks? God. We can't ever allow ourselves to like the gifts of God without liking the giver of the gifts. Or to love and appreciate the gifts of God and not love and appreciate the giver of the gifts. You get this from this passage. The story of the 10 lepers is a good one. It's an easy one to understand. Just a few verses here in Luke 17. Church, we are true Christians and followers of Jesus, not because we are thankful, but because we are thankful to God. We are aware that he has had mercy and grace toward us, that he loves us, he is patient with us, and he wants to be our father through sending his son Christ to die for us. As we trust him, we become thankful. We become aware of all that we need to be thankful to him for. And in turn, that's a beautiful witness. This Thanksgiving weekend, may you not let the busyness of Monday and school and work and Christmas season take off tomorrow without bowing yourself down to God and saying, God, 
I give thanks to you. I'm aware that you deserve the credit, the thanks, the glory. Thank you, God. And may the biggest thankfulness be for Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we give you thanks. Thank you for our church and thank you for these relationships. Thank you, God, for your beautiful word and the story here of Jesus and the 10 lepers. Father, we pray that you would make us thankful. Oh, God, help us to not be spoiled as I hit on that and help us, God, to not be like the other nine. Oh, they were happy and smiling, I'm sure, but it wasn't toward you. God, help us not be that way. Guard us from that. God, lead us to repentance and recognizing that we've sinned against you and that Christ died for our sins. And help us, God, to be thankful that you love us even though we've sinned against you. Father, thank you for your power and your ability in your power to still hear our cries. We ask that you would have mercy upon us. God, we thank you for your gift, the greatest gift, Jesus, our Savior. And may we be thankful to you for it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.